Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Ball and Chain podcast. I am your host, Mark Thomas, and uh, this podcast, as always, is brought to you by Zen Sports, which is the peer-to-peer mobile sports betting app where anybody can create and accept sports bets with anyone else in the world without the need for a centralized bookmaker. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done a podcast, and boy, has a lot happened in that time. Uh, I'm flying solo tonight on this podcast, and uh, I'm going to try and cover whew, uh, as many of the wide array of topics and goings on that have been happening uh, as I can over about the next half hour or so. Um, and it's been a uh, Definitely a trying and interesting, again, couple of weeks, uh, both uh, in the regular world as well as the sports world. Um, first, uh, just to go over some logistics and some housekeeping, I'm actually on a new microphone. I'm hoping that the sound on this is better. Not that the prior microphone was terrible, but uh, this one is radio studio quality grade uh, sound. So hopefully you're hearing this even louder and clearer uh, than you would otherwise. And uh, just uh, happy to hopefully have some uh, really, really, really crisp uh, sound here. So as I mentioned, I'm, I'm going solo tonight. Uh, it is Monday evening, 11 p.m. Pacific time, uh, coming to you from the Twin Peaks area of San Francisco. And... Uh, Clearly, there's one and really only one place where we can start this podcast with, and that is, um, you know, what's been going on in the world uh, with regards to racial inequalities, prejudices, and uh, specifically for those that are African-American and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. So other than retweeting and resharing a couple of other uh, posts on social media, changing my avatar and so forth. I haven't come out yet and, and kind of talked about what, what black lives matter and in general racial equality and humanity equality means for me. And uh, I really wanted to save it for the podcast where I could actually speak my words and, and, and speak my thoughts. Uh, not that I can't do that in writing, certainly can, but thought that it would be ideal to, to talk it. And I think the reason why is, um, because of really how important this, this means, you know, what this means to me and how important this is to me. So, uh, for those of you that know, you know, me on a personal level, uh, I'm, I'm gay and, um, you know, I have personally my, myself, faced, you know, great inequalities in my lifetime um, at various points. And uh, it just so happens that we're also in Pride Month right now. And I think, you know, given what has happened in the world recently, and given that this is Pride Month, and given the protests that have happened across the country and across the world, I mean, we, we need to take a deeper look at ourselves as human beings and as a human race and recognize that we, we can just do better than what we've been doing. Um, it's 
for the last 200 some years of this country's life and really for all throughout humanity, for some reason, people have this innate desire to think that they are better than others merely for the color of their skin, their sexual orientation, how they dress, how they look, how thin they are, how much muscles they have. And it's all just a bunch of bullshit. And I really kind of thought to some degree we were turning the corner in the last 20, 30 years, 40 years even, you know, since some of the civil rights movements in the 60s and 70s. And I think, to be frank, that was some probably my white privilege coming out and, and exuding itself and, and not recognizing the struggles that existed out there, other than, of course, some of the ones that I've gone through personally for being gay. But, you know, the thing is with being gay, not everyone knows it, right? <laughs> it's not something that's clear and obvious on the color of your skin, uh, you know, like being black is. And so, um, you know, I, I, I can't ever remember cops harassing me for being gay or anything like that. Um, because, you know, I mean, theoretically, how would they know unless, you know, maybe they were happening to go out of their way or something like that. But um, the struggle that, you know, black people, uh, you know, in this country have faced in the last 200 years, again, since we've been around as a country, just to be quite frank and blunt is just unacceptable. And, um, you know, the the tragic death of George Floyd, um, you know, two, almost two weeks ago now, or 10 days ago now, I should say, is just another reminder of how far we still have to go and how much work we have to do as human beings. And so I'm going to start with the obvious elephant in the room, which is uh, police and the police force uh, and the police infrastructure that we have set up in this country in general. Um, because that I think is the most glaring, obvious point that needs to be changed. Um, we have, in my opinion, systemically hired for the absolutely 1000% wrong type of individual. The type of individuals that we need on the police force are not ex-military, um, combative, um, instigating types of folks that, are excited and look forward to pulling out a gun. What we need to be hiring for, and again, this starts at the very top with, you know, the police chiefs on down to the lowest rank and file, is we need to be we need to be hiring hiring for things like psychology majors, um, arbiters, um, uh, those that can mediate, uh, de-escalation specialists. Those are the types of people that should be at the top of the hiring list for police officers. And, you know, I know this is going to be a little bit controversial, but, you know, I think, you know, when looking at it a little bit even deeper than that is if we are hiring for those kinds of people and they're the types of, of people that when, you know, confronted with a, a situation such as the one with George Floyd instead of looking for a reason to hurt that person, whether it's physically, emotionally, or, you know, uh, enjoying seeing somebody potentially go behind bars. Why are we not having somebody that can de-escalate the situation, uh, troubleshoot the matter using words and um, other types of 
nonviolent actions and reserve the, the, the potential violent types of actions that might be needed in an extreme situation only for those that have the utmost training, the utmost experience, and that have proven themselves to be of the highest quality individuals. Those that, again, have high experience, long experience, and have no marks against the record at all in terms of uh, police officer um, infractions. Instead, we're hiring like ex-military, we're hiring these, you know, inexperienced people that don't have any kind of training in dealing with people whatsoever. We put them through less rigorous training than we do some cosmetologists, and then we hand them a gun and say, here, go solve a crime. And and then we wonder why we deal with situations like we dealt with George Floyd 10 days ago. So, um, you know... I don't have all the answers. I don't purport to have all the, having all the answers. Um, I mean, defunding police that, that feels a little extreme to me, but what can we do to implement true, honest reform? And then the other part of this is non-police oriented, which is just the, just the overall prejudiceness, uh, you know, attitude and racist attitudes that so many people in this country still have. And, the reality is starting at the at the at the very kind of top level is you know racist and prejudices are are not you're not born with them they're taught they're learned they're passed on generationally from one generation to the next and that's just a fact i mean no one's born saying oh i'm going to hate black people oh i'm going to hate gay people people are taught these things and they're taught these things because it's a way for people to feel superior over others and make themselves feel better about themselves when they probably have their own inadequacies. You don't usually generally see people that are really successful in their life for the most part and that are satisfied and happy and have the things that they want. You generally don't see those kinds of people, you know, being racist and being prejudiced against others. And so I, de- I definitely think it stems from a place of inadequacy and, and definitely, you know, uh, you know, psychological issues that, you know, we need to work on as a country because if we want to be the best country in the best world and the best globe and the best planet Earth that we can be, we have to do better. We have to start treating people with the same decency and equality that we expect to be treated with ourselves. And it really is just that simple. I know the golden rule is, <laughs> you know, uh, cliche and used over and over again. But why is it so hard to treat others like we want to be treated? That doesn't mean you have to give up everything that you ever wanted. That doesn't mean you always, you can never say no. That doesn't mean you can't, you know, uh, not be who you want to be. But it does mean start from a place of acceptance And then maybe possibly based on actions, you know, if you feel that you need to put people in their place or something that that might be different, um, or if it's a business dealing, you know, you can only say yes to so many people kind of thing. But that doesn't mean we can't all start from a place of openness and willingness to treat each person that we come in contact with as, as humans. And, and so like in terms of how you actually put that into action, 
you know, just think about your own world. Think about your own little circle of people that you see every day or that you interact with. And when you're interacting with those people, are you being the best possible human you can be? If you're coming across somebody who is of a different race or sexual orientation, are you passing judgment on them based on their skin color or some other trait? Or are you looking at them just as you would your brother or your sister? Um, you know, uh, colorblind, uh, orientation blind, and just judging them on who they are as a person. Because if you're not doing that, then you're falling victim to the same privileges or biases that you might possibly be condemning in others. And then secondly, is when you're talking with others that might be acting racist or cracking really mean racist jokes or you know, uh, basically conveying to you their prejudices, maybe even in private, you know, what are you doing about it? Are you turning a blind eye? Are you tolerating it? Are you saying, wait a second, that doesn't sound right to me? Hearing what they have to say, but but really being clear with them that that kind of thought process is unacceptable. So think about what you're doing in your own world. And really trying to make each action and interaction that you have better than you would otherwise, or maybe better than you did before. And I think we can all do better in that regard. Even if we think of ourselves as, um, you know, the most non-racist, non-prejudiced person, there are probably times where we got on that plane and somebody was wearing a turban or somebody was wearing a certain set of clothing and we pass judgment on them just based on that. And that's wrong. So maybe catch yourself every time you're doing it and recognizing that you probably have more privilege and more chances than you realize or that others have that weren't given the same opportunities and the same benefit of the doubt just because of their skin color or their race or their religion or their sexual orientation. So um, I felt it was really important to uh, get that off my chest and talk about that um, because I had not, we had not done a podcast since all this happened. And, um, you know, it's Pride Month. <laughs> uh, these challenges that, you know, Blacks and African-Americans are going through remind me a lot of the struggles I had to go through um, as, you know, a young gay man growing up in Wisconsin, eventually moving to San Francisco and fighting for equality and rights like we did, such as the right to marry, um, which we got five years ago. So um, it would be not right of me if I didn't talk about this. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, you uh, can under be understanding that even on a sports betting and cryptocurrency podcast and blockchain podcast, we, we care about, we care about what's going on in the world. I do for sure. And, um, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, talk to that. All right. So I do want to get into some sports news as well. Um, so there's been quite a bit that's happened in the sports world. Uh, so what should we start with, baseball or basketball? Um, let's start with basketball, since I think this is a much better situation going on than what's what's happening with baseball. So we know the NHL, uh, we knew the NHL was coming back at the end of July. And so is the NBA now. Uh, so the NBA has agreed, both the players and the owners, 
to resume the 2019-2020 season at the Wide World of Sports Complex in Orlando on July 31st. Before we get into all the details of exactly what this resumption of play looks like, first of all, why on goodness God's green earth do we need to wait until July 31st to resume the season? I mean, that is just ridiculous. First of all, the players and owners pretty much knew this was going to be happening about a week ago at least. Uh, There's plenty of time, plenty of time to get everything up and running uh, by July 1st or maybe July 4th at the latest, uh, you know, have a nice 4th of July kickoff to the season. Um, and yet we're waiting till July 31st, which as we're going to get to in a few minutes means this thing is going to go until October, middle of October. <laughs> the season's going to end the same month that the season started last year. So that is the first part that I find to be ridiculous. Um, actually, let me take a step back. The most important thing is that we're resuming the season. That is great. I think it's the right way to do it. Um, there's no asterisk on this at all. In my opinion, um, the 2012, 2013 season had a strike shortened season, uh, where, uh, that was only, that only had 66 games played LeBron James and he won the championship that year. Nobody talks about an asterisk for that in the 1999, 2000 season, uh, strike shortened season. They only played 50 games. Spurs won the title. Um, nobody places an asterisk next to that, at least. Everybody not named Phil Jackson. So there's no asterisk next to this. They should be playing. Um, if anything, if the top two teams like the Bucks and Lakers meet in the finals and they've done it without home court, I mean, that makes it even that much more admirable. Um, so resuming the season, great, important. There's no reason not to. I just don't know why they're waiting so darn long. I also have to say I'm not super jazzed with the format of it as they're starting. So the way it's going to work is this. They're bringing back uh, the 16 teams that were already seated in the uh, you know top 16 teams seated in the playoffs. And then they're also bringing back six teams that are within six games of a playoff berth. And those additional six teams are the Wizards, the Trailblazers, the Pelicans, the Suns, the Kings, and the Spurs. By the way, the Trailblazers were the only team that voted against <laughs> coming back. Um, and it probably has to do something with Damian Lillard, who spoke up and basically said he didn't want to come back. Anyways, um, so they're going to play eight more games. Every team is going to play eight more games with basically uh, kind of a round-robin schedule. They haven't come up with exactly how it's going to work. Um, but um, after those eight games, there's going to be a possible play-in tournament for the eighth seed. Not sure exactly how that's going to work. Um, but anyway, so you know they're going to be playing like seven games a day for the first three weeks. So it's going to go to like the third week of August, the regular season part. And then at that point, the playoffs are going to kick in with the standard uh, four rounds of best of seven series, which then takes us all the way. If there's a game seven in the finals to October 12th. So, so a couple things here. One, I don't see the need to play eight regular season games. They could play three or four and I think be back in playoff shape. Um, that's, the, that's the first thing. Um, so they could get that done in a week. Second of all, again, if they came back in early July, basically you'd be starting the playoffs in mid July basically means you could be done just about at the start by the start of the football season, uh, the NFL. You don't want this bleeding into the NFL season. I mean, it's fine if it does. It's not the end of the world, but why have it bleed into the NFL season if you don't have to? It doesn't make any sense. But here we go. It's going to. And so that's really the only part I'm not jazzed about. I am actually glad they're keeping the best of seven for all four rounds. Um, I guess I could have seen a best of five for the first round, but... 
Um, I, I just, I think it's best to, again, to try and mitigate people trying to attach an asterisk next to it. Just keep the format the same as we always have uh, and leave it at that. Um, so yeah, so glad we're resuming the season. Glad they're playing the entire playoff stretch of all the same teams. Glad that they didn't go with some funky World Cup final format or any of that that all those things would just possibly add to any kind of asterisk that people want to put to this and that's just not fair to the top teams it's not fair to the bucks it's not fair to the lakers it's not fair to the clippers um or any team that you know that would win it all it's just not i mean i get it would quote unquote be possibly more exciting but this isn't you know if, if the sport isn't exciting in and of itself uh you know um you know tinkering with the, the format to make it more exciting doesn't help like otherwise, it just possibly delegitimizes who won, and that really doesn't help, especially when we're looking at the record books five years from now, ten years from now, et cetera. Um, the other piece that I'm hopeful for as a Bucks fan is maybe, um, maybe there'll be partial crowds allowed for the finals. Um, you know, as things start to reopen back up in this country, I get the basketballs indoors, so that's the one major downside to it. But even if they can have a third or half capacity. I mean, that's sure a heck of a lot better than no fans. And, and you know, I, if they can get to that point, that'd be great. I'm, that's a little wishful thinking, but we'll see. So anyways, glad that's coming back. And, of course, um, in terms of the other sports leagues that have already come back, we've already done this wrap-up several times. So at this point, we're now at eSports, MMA, Bundesliga, La Liga. Um, PGA Golf is coming back this weekend. Uh, uh, Serie A and the English Premier League are coming back in the next week or two. And then, of course, uh, we just touched on NBA, NHL next month, college football in August, pro football in September, and that leads us to baseball. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I've been a diehard baseball fan since 1987. It was the very first major professional sport I fell in love with. But, geez almighty, these guys cannot get out of their own way. <sighs> so... The the players union and the owners are by far and away the most um, antagonistic towards each other of any uh, sports players union and owners group that there is in any sport. It's just they hate each other. It's just the bottom line. They don't trust each other. They don't like each other. Uh, they antagonize each other. And it's just a hot mess. And what's baffling to me is when you've got 20% unemployment and, you know, we're coming off the heels of a pandemic and we have protests going on across the world, you know, in, in, to fight for uh, equality, racial equality. Why are these two groups not able to figure it fucking out? I mean, it is baffling to me. So the players wanted uh, to get paid for the season if they played half the season just like they would as if there were fans in attendance, which of course we know is not going to happen, at least not to start with. The problem with that is, is that there are no fans in attendance and there's a huge amount of revenue, about 40% of the revenue in baseball uh, in most of the markets is attributed to fans. And if you just assume about 70 million fans at roughly a hundred bucks per fan per game is what they spend in tickets and food and beverage and parking and everything else, that's $7 billion dollars that's being lost. Well, of course the owners can't pay the players the same <laughs> for half a season with no fans as they would with fans. It's just not possible. 
yet the players, that's what they want. And it's, it's just, it's, it's flat out ridiculous. And um, I'm sorry, but no one's going to feel sorry for the players and no one's going to feel sorry for baseball in general. If they can't figure this out and come back, do you think the 20% of people across this country that have lost their jobs are going to feel sorry for millionaire ball players that are not willing to play for a reduced salary during a uh, pandemic shortened season? Hell freaking no. Why would they? And what happens then is, you know, next year you actually have the CBA has to be negotiated again before the season starts. You may not have baseball in 2020 or 2021. And in my opinion, if that happens, baseball's done. It can't come back from that. It's already lost market share, tons and tons and tons of market share to the NBA and, uh, of course, the NFL. I mean, it's just it's going to you know disappear and vanish out of existence if they can't get it together. So the latest proposal today from uh, posted on Twitter from Jeff Passan at ESPN said that the uh, owners had the latest have the have a new proposal for the players, um, and that is a seventy six game season. Uh, approximately 1.43 billion in total compensation, 75% of the full prorated salary of um, approximately 1.9 million salary salaries over 76 games, uh, up to eight playoff teams per league, which means more playoff money distributed to the players, um, 50% of prorated salary over the 76 games, which I mentioned. Um, uh, if the postseason happens, which there's no reason why it wouldn't, players would share in $393 million in bonus money. There's an additional bonus uh, pool of $50 million that the postseason teams would split. Um, I'm sorry, players to all the post pay, payment to all the players of the postseason happen is $393 million. And then the bonus uh, payout to the postseason teams themselves would be $50 million. And then there'd be an additional $33 million in forgiveness of an advance that they paid on earlier this year. Those that are medically deemed high-risk individuals would be able to opt out of the 2020 season, retain their salaries and service time. Uh, players not deemed high-risk, though, would not receive salary nor service if they choose not to play. And uh, and that's it. Um, and so, again, I'm just I'm not seeing how the players can say no to this. Now, that being said, of all the sports that are coming back, this is the one uh, setup that I do think would more or less kind of have an asterisk next to any champion. So basketball, no hockey, no, because they'll played almost all the games for the entire season and they'll be playing the full normal playoff schedule. Uh, so what, why would there be an asterisk baseball? If they play less than half the games in a regular season and have some funky, weird um, playoff format, I'm sorry, but baseball needs at least a hundred to 110 games to be legitimate. In my opinion, I mean, basketball has 60, 65, 70 games, which they've done, and they're adding more, eight more games this season. You know, that's good. Same thing for hockey. But baseball having 76 games, it just, it just doesn't feel enough to me. And, uh, of course, the problem with 114 games, which they originally proposed, which would that go into uh, – that would go into November. And, by the way, under this new proposal, the World Series would end at the end of October like it normally does. That being said, they still need to play the season, even if this is more asterisky than the other sports. Uh, they need to play the season because no one's going to feel sorry for a bunch of ball players turning down millions of dollars um, just because it's not the full allocation of what they think of what they would normally be able to get if there were full amounts of fans in the in attendance. So that is uh, that's your sports rundown. Um, yeah. And then uh, on the sports betting front, uh, I mean, I mean, action is back. 
I mean, you know, if, if esports was was not quite your thing, um, I mean, you've got MMA going on, you've got two professional top soccer leagues going on, two more coming back uh, in the next couple of weeks. Golf is coming back this weekend. Uh, there's no excuse. You don't need to do marble racing anymore. <laughs> uh, so you can bet on some real on some real stuff. So um, so that's the that's the monologue uh, podcast tonight. Thank you for thank you for hearing me out. Thank you for hearing my feelings about everything going on. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we'll be back uh, with a guest next time. Uh, I've got a couple of great guests in the pipeline uh, that we're excited to bring in. And as always, uh, we always appreciate your support uh, on the Ball and Chain podcast. Like, uh, share, subscribe, download, tell your friends. Send them a letter, call them, get them to use it, get them to download it, and uh, and and be kind to one another because uh, because we all need it. Have an amazing week, everyone. Talk to you later.